If you are a Christian coach, speaker, or influencer, this is the right place. You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for biblical encouragement, spirit-led wisdom, and practical ideas as you answer God's calling to increase your authority by becoming an author. I'm Nika Maples, and I can help you write your next book so that you can take your business to the next level while advancing the kingdom and transforming people in Jesus' name. You are an anointed and appointed writer, and you've been prepared and positioned for such a time as this. But sometimes the writing life can feel a little bit discouraging, especially if you haven't finished your first book. So may I encourage you today with an excerpt from one of my books, Hunting Hope. This is chapter 12. He will not forget you. Hebrews 6.10 God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We remember the stories of our scars. The Houston sun was full and hot. I stood, poised on my friend's bike, as a neighborhood boy slowly backed his rear tire up to my rear tire, A drop of sweat slung from the tip of my nose as I turned around to look at him. He glared at me. You ready? I had made a big mouth bet that a girl could beat a boy on a bike race any day. The plan was to head in opposite directions around the block and then meet up, bike to bike, in the same place. One problem with that plan was that I was motivated only by hard-headed determination. I wanted to prove myself capable as the lone girl who had interjected herself into a previously all-boy race. Another problem with the plan was that my competitor lived in that neighborhood and I didn't. He was a friend of the friend whose bike I was borrowing. He knew the block we would be racing because it was his block. I, on the other hand, lived five hours away. I was just visiting on our summer vacation. We jumped forward when my friend yelled, Go! And I only raced a few feet before I ran into something in the road. I landed, face first, on the pavement. I remember every tiny detail about that trip to the emergency room. Sights, smells, sounds. For a couple weeks, I had five stitches under a thick bandage on my chin. To this day, the scent of hydrogen peroxide can take me back to fifth grade without fail. I still have the scar. The moral of that story is, if it begins with a bet, it probably ends with regret. There was also a time when I was taking a color photography course in college and I was hurrying to finish a major project. The hallway was poorly organized. On my way back into the dark room, my foot struck a rolled-up carpet that was lying next to the wall, and I fell forward, throwing my photo-developing supplies to the ceiling. I reached out both hands to break my fall, and my palms pushed open a door, which had almost all the way been open, but not quite. My knees hit the tiles, and my hands squeaked down the door to the floor. I slowly leaned back to sit on my ankles. My knees were hurting, but it wasn't over. The mousetrap was still in motion. Above my head, wrapped around the doorknob of that door, was an electrical cord. The cord had pulled taut when the door had slammed wide. 
Right next to where I was kneeling and trying to catch my breath, a waist-high bookcase stood against the hallway wall. On top of it was an out-of-order 50-plus pound enlarger. An enlarger looks like an enormous metal microscope with sharp angles everywhere. You guessed it. The cord that was wrapped around the doorknob that was on the door that I had opened when I fell because my foot struck an old carpet was attached to the enlarger, and a corner of it gouged my head on its way down. It landed on my back. I remember everything that happened next. All the students and the professor who came running to pull the enlarger off of me and roll me upright. In dazed pain, I couldn't speak. So I did what anyone would do. I started communicating in sign language, of course. I actually sat there, leaning against the wall with blood running down my face and my fingers flying madly. Keep two things in mind as you imagine this stupid scene. Number one, I don't actually know sign language. I took one semester of ASL in college but for all intents and purposes, I still only know the letters and the numbers that I memorized from the Encyclopedia Britannica when I was 11 years old. Number two, there wasn't anyone there who knew sign language, not even the alphabet. Then one girl saw my frantic signs and yelled, oh, she's deaf. Yes, she thought I was deaf. It was the end of the semester and she and I had been working around each other three times a week for 16 weeks. I had never shown any other indication that I could not hear, but suddenly she thought I was deaf. I guess I had kept a really low profile in class. I don't know. Anyway, they ran to get another girl that she knew who was in class on the same hall, and that girl ran to us, knelt in front of me, and started signing actual sign language, which of course... I could not understand because um, I don't know sign language, but my mouth still wasn't working from the shock. So I tried to spell it out for her. I do not know any real sign language words. I just know the letters and numbers. It took me forever to spell that out. So we sat there fingering nonsense to one another, and no one ever went to get a piece of paper and a pencil. And I knew there were some around, too, because we were on a college campus, for goodness sake. But apparently, the people who go to college need to be in college because no one actually ever thought of a paper and pencil. I ended up with three stitches on the top of my head, and my skull still has a dime-sized dent there, which I'm going to call worth it because now I have a ridiculous story to tell for the rest of my life. And the moral of that story is, there are ways to make something stupid even stupider. And then there was the time when I slammed my finger in the car door, and it locked. And the keys were inside my purse. And the purse was hanging on the shoulder of the arm that had the hand that had the finger that was locked in the car door. So I danced a dance of pain for five minutes, trying to set myself free with only my left hand. Okay, you try to unlock your car door with the hand you don't usually use. I'm serious, just try it. I almost dropped those keys 60 times. When I finally opened the door, I saw that my middle finger needed stitches. And as you know by now, 
I'm somewhat useless when I'm in pain. Oh, the fun of a nervous system after a brain injury. I knew I couldn't drive myself to the ER. I ran to bang my good fist on the door of my neighbor, who was also my landlord, who was also the guy who lived in the other side of the duplex. I always just slid the rent check through the mail slot in his door. I didn't really know him, but I talked to him a couple of times. Once about the plumbing and once when I agreed to feed his dog when he was out of town. He seemed nice enough, so I decided to ask him for help. When he answered the door, bleary-eyed and in a stupor in the middle of the day, I should have known something was wrong. Still, I begged him to take me to the hospital. He helped me into the passenger seat of his truck and tried to buckle me in like a little baby in a car seat. Forget it. No seatbelt, I yelled, holding my bloody hand above my head. Just drive. Just drive. Let's get there as fast as we can. As he walked around the car to get behind the wheel, I prayed, Dear Lord, please save the end of my finger. Dear Lord, please save the end of my finger. It wasn't until he actually got into the truck and closed the driver's side door that I smelled the alcohol. Then I realized for the first time that I was in the car with a total stranger who was also drunk, and I was not wearing a seatbelt because I had told him not to, at the same time that I had also just told him to speed to the hospital. Immediately, I prayed inwardly, Dear Lord, go ahead and forget about my finger. Just save my life. These three stitches left a scar that still makes me smile a little bit. And the moral of that story is prayer is all about priorities. If we still had time and you were ready to laugh, I could tell you the ludicrous stories of every scar I have. I remember every detail brilliantly. I bet you could tell me your scar stories too. Our ordinary days we can't remember, but the days that marked us for life, those we can't forget. Scars are vivid reminders. There are times I have felt forsaken and forgotten by God, and I know you have too. I know you felt this because even Jesus felt it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out on the cross. Jesus knew he'd not been forsaken by God, but it sure felt that way. When this is recorded in Matthew 27, 46, Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 22, a poem that David wrote. If Jesus, the only divine, felt forsaken, and if David, the greatest warrior in history, felt forsaken, then we know the feeling must be universal. We have all felt forgotten. Forsakenness feels like lost hope. When we can't see hope, we might feel forgotten most of all. Maybe that's why God tells us so many times in the Bible that he hasn't forsaken us or forgotten us. My favorite incidence of one of these reminders is in Isaiah 49, 15 through 16. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. We are engraved. We are his scars. The problem is not that he forgets how much he loves us. The problem is that we forget how much he loves us. Of course he remembers us. How could he forget the story of his wounds? In all the time we've been singing to children, 
that he's got the whole world in his hands, when that isn't exactly true. He has the whole world on his hands, and he remembers. If this excerpt was encouraging to you, you can find a copy of Hunting Hope anywhere books are sold. Are you subscribed to my YouTube channel yet? I love creating weekly lessons that will bring value and insight to you on your writing, publishing, and book marketing journey. When you listen to my podcast, you learn through your ears. But when you watch my YouTube channel, you learn through your eyes and your ears, making double the impact in half the time. See you over on YouTube.